chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of, as of fire, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, uh, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying, mocking said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. That would be great. It's good to be here with you. Please keep your Bibles open. Um, and uh, I want to talk about uh, church this morning and just want to ask a, a question that is sort of an obvious, I know I'm sort of preaching to the choir this morning, but, but is church an idea whose time has come and gone? Um, I came across a, a quote from the authors of a, a recent book called The Great De-Churching. I don't know if you've heard of this book, but the authors, Jim Davis and Michael Graham, uh, just recently were commenting that we are living through the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. So w- what is that shift? Well, they note that some 40 million adult Americans who used to go to church at least once a month now attend less than once a year. So 40 million people used to go at least once a month, now going less than once a year. So their book is called The Great De-Churching. And we can see that happening, uh, and I don't know if that's even happening around here, but uh, church uh, buildings being turned into apartments, uh, church buildings being turned into bars, uh, you know, these buildings being repurposed because there aren't any congregations uh, meeting uh, in there any longer. And uh, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, uh, no doubt you've uh, either heard about or maybe even worse experienced trouble in church, toxic church culture, immoral leaders, shameful handling of sexual abuse. And so the question is sort of out there in the culture, is it time to de-church and go home? Is church an idea whose time has come and gone. Uh, An author named R.N. Flew argues that rather than de-churching, what we really need is a fresh vision for the church. Here's what he has to say. He says, the conviction is growing that the need of Christian people, so here we are, Christian people, what's our need? Well, he says, our need is for a fresh vision of the church of Christ as God meant it to be. What's needed is a fresh vision for the church of Christ as God meant it to be. Now, he wrote that 85 years ago, so maybe things haven't changed that much. But I want to ask you this morning, what actually is God's intention for the church? If you're on your way home today and you maybe stop to get something to eat and you end up in some random conversation, so says, hey, you were at church. What's God's intention for the church? Like, what's church all about? Why? Why, why church? What, tell me about church. 
Where did the idea of church come from? Why are we here? Why have we gathered here as Doxology Church this morning? You're going through a series in Matthew, and Jesus in Matthew says simply, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But, but what is his intention for the church? Just, just dream with me for a moment, would you? Would you just let your imaginations just, just wander with me? What, what if there could be a community that we live in such a divisive time, don't we? So many disagreements and polarizing people moving in different directions. What if there could be a community that transcends the boundaries of nationality and language and ethnicity and anyone who wants to can belong? What if there could be a community that actually sticks together through thick and thin and where people instead of using each other, actually love each other. Not a perfect community, but a growing community and a forgiving community. And what if in that community, God was present, living in that community, and making that community a taste of a new creation a paradise where all sin and evil is put away forever. That's actually not a dream. That's the vision of the church as God meant it to be. Called into existence by God, won by the finished work of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I hope that our passage this morning will really give you a fresh vision for the church. There isn't a lot of sort of practical to-dos and takeaways from this message. This is a vision message. And, and my hope is that this message, this passage of Scripture from Acts 2, will give you a fresh vision of the church as God meant it to be. And simply put, what we see coming into existence on the day of Pentecost is the church as a spirit-filled community. So let's walk through the text and see how that comes about. So the first four verses bring into view for us how Jesus's disciples are all filled with the Spirit. Look back in verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So we'll figure out who they is in just a second. And suddenly a couple things happen. There's a sound coming from heaven, uh, like a mighty rushing wind, and it fills the house where they're sitting. And then verse 3, it says, Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them there. And then it says, verse 4, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what's, what's going on here? So we're trying to get all the way back to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. It's the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was a feast uh, in, in Jerusalem. It was one of the three great feasts where... The men of, of the Israelite men were required to come back and, 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 and journey back to Jerusalem for these, th- these feasts. Now, this is 50 days after Passover and the, the Passover where Jesus served the, 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 the Last Supper, had the Last Supper with his, with his disciples. And it says that they were all together in one place. Well, who? Well, if you go back to chapter 1, it, it, we're, we're told in verse 15, that this is the 12 apostles, and then also 
a group of disciples, men and women. So there's about 120 people that have been meeting together and, and they're in this house in Jerusalem. Why? Well, Jesus told them, they, they didn't go back to Galilee where most of them were from. Jesus told them, wait here in Jerusalem. In fact, if you want to turn back and look at chapter 1, he says in, in verse 4, he orders them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Huh, what's that? Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So that's the promise of the Father, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, to be immersed like in a baptism, to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 8, when the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they are, Judea and Samaria, the surrounding areas, and to the ends of the earth. And so that's what they're waiting for. And now it happens. This is the day when the Holy Spirit is poured out. So it starts with a sound. Have you ever been in a thunderstorm or maybe a tropical storm or maybe even a hurricane? And you know how loud that can get? Well, that's what's happening, but it's not happening outside. It's happening in the house. Imagine what that would be like to have that sound inside the house and then to see these these what appear to be tongues of fire, these flames coming down and resting on each person back there. Now, if you know your Old Testament well, you'll recognize these are signs that God is present. A burning bush, fire that doesn't get consumed. God is present speaking to Moses. Exodus 19, God comes down on the mountain to give the law to Moses. And what what's the scene? Well, there's smoke and the Lord descends on it in, in, in fire. So these are signs of the presence of the Lord. And it says on this day of, of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That has never before been said about the people of God. This is the first day in history when all of God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a new thing. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was active here and there, certain people in certain times, certain places, but now they are all filled, every single one. They're empowered to do something that minutes before they couldn't do. They're empowered to speak in other tongues. Now, Jesus isn't mentioned here, but Jesus is behind this. In a sense, this is actually the completing of the cross work that Jesus had come to do. He dies on a cross to give him his life as a ransom for many. When he dies, what happens? Well, the curtain there in the temple is torn and the barrier between God and human beings is removed. So now there's a new and living way for people to come into God's presence through Jesus Christ. And Jesus, on this day of Pentecost, where is he? He's not in Jerusalem. He's ascended and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And as Peter will preach in in a few verses later in in chapter 2, verse 33, Jesus has received the promised Holy Spirit from the Father and now he's pouring out the Spirit on his people. This is something new. It's an inauguration. It's a new thing. Jesus' disciples are being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So God has always had a people But this is the first time that his people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. And and they will remain 
with the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. So they've become temples of the Holy Spirit. So how about us here as we've gathered here today? Are we filled with the Spirit? Do we have the Spirit? Scripture teaches us that all believers receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion, and that's permanent and unchanging. Scripture also teaches us, and we can see if you read through the first four chapters of the book of Acts, that there can be repeated fillings with the Spirit, which is why in Ephesians 5, 18, Paul urges the church there to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this November morning, Lord, may you fill Doxology Church freshly with your Spirit. Jesus' disciples are all filled with the Spirit. And then the second thing that we'll look at here is they begin, they are empowered to declare God's praises. Look back at verse 5. It says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And so we're going to get a big list of of all these different places where uh, people had assembled from. Um, But what I want to draw your attention to is uh, down there at the end of verse 11, all these people in this crowd that's going to gather, it says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So I want you to try to picture the scene, okay? Try to picture, let's try to get 2,000 years back to some, somebody's house in Jerusalem. And there's, some, there's this amazing thing that happens. There's this sound of the, of the wind and there's these tongues of fire. And then all 120 of these disciples are filled with the Spirit and they start speaking in languages that they don't know. Now, somehow, the word gets out. Imagine if word got out that at noon today, Taylor Swift was going to be at Kenmore Middle School. Like, can you imagine what, would, what it would be like? Like, all these people would just be, like, filling up the parking lot. This, something like that is happening in Jerusalem. Word starts getting out. There's something going on. You've got to come see. And everybody's telling everybody. And so this huge crowd, eventually there's going to be thousands of people that are going to hear uh, uh, fr- from Peter when, when he preaches. And these are people that are from all across the, 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 the Roman Empire, and they're hearing these Galileans. The Galileans were kind of the blue-collar uh, workers uh, uh, of, of, of the day, and, and, and they're hearing all these people speaking perfect Mesopotamian and perfect Latin, and so the word gets out, and people are bewildered and amazed and astonished. Like, just, just pause for a second. It, like, imagine if you could do this. Like, you could go to class... You go to Spanish class first, and then your Japanese class second, and then Russian class in the afternoon, and you wouldn't have to study because you know the language perfectly. Like, can you imagine, like, what would that be? That's what's happening to these people. Now, this crowd, all these Jewish people, probably mostly men, because it was the men that were required to come in for the feast, they, they've all gathered, and I, and I want to just, just try, try, try to give you a sense of how broad the scope is of where these people have come from and what they're hearing. So, if we can do the map, we do the map. There we go. So kind of moving from here to here. So uh, uh, we, 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 hear, we hear about Parthia and, and the Medes. They're from, they're from way over here. And then Asia, and this is modern-day Turkey uh, up here. They're listed. We get North Africa uh, d- down here and all the way over to Rome over there. That's where all these people, the Jewish diaspora, they've all gathered for this feast. And there, so they speak all these different languages, and they're all in Jerusalem 
hearing the, 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 these Galileans speaking in all these different languages. Now just, just stop for a second and think, what does this tell us about God? What is God showing us here? Do you know the nations are on God's heart? Do you know that God desires every person to hear the good news of Jesus in their own language, in a way that's culturally understandable to them by human proclaimers, not just on the internet or through a book, but, but and, and so we see the, the beginning of the, of the outworking of the gospel going to the nations right here. And this is a miracle, not of hearing, but of speaking. These people are speaking in languages they, they don't know. And what are they saying? They're not just sort of, sort of proclaiming the local gossip or kind of where to find the best kebabs in Jerusalem or, or, or things like that. They're proclaiming, did you, did you catch this? They're proclaiming the mighty works of God. I want you to just to think about that. The first thing, the first manifestation of the empowering, filling work of the Holy Spirit isn't just that they can speak in other tongues that gathers a crowd. It's that they can praise God. They are proclaiming the mighty works of God. And no doubt, those mighty works are focused on the mighty work of Jesus Christ, as Peter will preach in the, in, in, in the next section, and how he was incarnate, born of a virgin, and how he lived a perfect and sinless life, and how they, he was crucified right there in Jerusalem, and all those people that are there, that 50 days before that, that was, that was going on. This has just happened. But how there's, his body can't be found. But, but He's been raised from the dead and he's ascended on high and now he's pouring out the Holy Spirit as you have evidence of right here. I don't want you to miss the significance of this. This isn't just a miracle of speaking in a language that you don't know. This is God. Can you see the first thing that God is doing with this new community? He's gathering them together And together, they're worshiping. They're praising Him. They're proclaiming the mighty works of God. This is the beginning of the new era of the Spirit. This is what was promised in the Old Testament. Jesus promised to make a new covenant. We hear that when we have the Lord's Supper. This is the new covenant in my blood. Ezekiel, the prophet, predicted that this is what was going to happen. Through Ezekiel, God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And this spirit-filled assembly begins this new era of the spirit by praising God, by declaring his praises. Now, their, their ability to speak in these languages that they don't know, that won't continue. But their ability to gather together as a worshiping assembly, that will continue. On this day of Pentecost, God is beginning this work of gathering together a multiracial, multinational, multilingual people. And that work of gathering reaches all the way to this room to us here today. We are part of what God began to do through the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. God has come to dwell among his people. The curtain's been torn. 
Separation has been removed. Reconciliation has been accomplished. And now we are the temple of God, corporately and individually. And I want to encourage you, that's why we're here today. And thank you for gathering on the Lord's day. You are this spirit-filled assembly. You're living in the good of what Christ accomplished for you. You're living in the good of what God promised he would do. You're living in the good of, of what the Holy Spirit is doing in these last days by gathering on the Lord's day to lift up the name of Christ and our great triune God, to gathering on the Lord's day to build and strengthen one another up uh, uh, in, in the Lord and gathering on the Lord's day to be scattered to go out into the world as his witnesses. It's, it's just su- such a joy and a privilege to be able to gather with you here today as a part of the outworking of what the, what, what the Lord accomplished uh, and brought about on the day of Pentecost. And on this day, third point, Jesus' disciples are becoming something new a spirit-filled community. Jesus Jesus had disciples before this. There were people of faith trusting the Lord before this, but now these people are becoming a spirit-filled community. I just want to highlight in verse 12, these people, it says the, the crowd, they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And as usually happens, when God comes on the scene and, and things happen, others, mocking, said they're drunk. They're just filled with wine. That's what it means. But I want to just just close with this question. What, what does this mean? What does this mean? This sound, what does this mean? These people filled with the Spirit, these Galileans speaking in other tongues and speaking the praises of, of God. Something truly new is happening here. What begins on the day of Pentecost that we're reading about here in Acts 2, it launches a great movement. Think about the book of Acts with me for just, just a moment. It begins in chapter 1. With this small group of Jewish believers, where are they? They're in a house. They're in Jerusalem. Where does the book of Acts end? It doesn't end in Jerusalem. It doesn't end in Israel. It ends in Rome. It doesn't end with a small group of believers. It actually ends with somebody who's not even on the scene in chapter 1. It ends with the Apostle Paul having found his way all the way to the imperial city of Rome where he is joyfully and faithfully proclaiming Christ. Along the way, the gospel is being preached throughout the Roman Empire and people are being saved and churches are being established throughout the Roman Empire. How does that happen? How do you get from a little group of Jewish believers in a house in Jerusalem in chapter 1 to a massive number of believers, mostly Gentile, throughout the Roman Empire. How does that happen? It happens not because somebody had a great five-year plan. It happens not because they managed to find a really good consultant and sign an excellent contract. No, it happens how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that's here present with us today. Do you know, As we come into the Advent season, we remember the Advent, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a sense in which Pentecost is almost like Advent for the Holy Spirit. It's not exactly the same because the Spirit was present and active in, in different ways prior to this. But there's a sense in which the Spirit appears and is present, filling 
and indwelling God's people in a way that's never happened before until this day of Pentecost. And, and as the Spirit works to create this Spirit-filled community, here's the vision I want to leave you with. What kind of a community is this? It's a community that's oriented in three directions. We've been talking about the upward direction. The Spirit-filled community of the local church, these assemblies, is oriented up in worship. It's also oriented in, in fellowship, in strengthening, in building one another up. It's also oriented out in mission and in witness. So the Spirit-filled community that's being established here on the day of Pentecost is, is focused up, in, and out. And that's the vision that God wants us to have and hold on to and live in the good of his intention for his church. It's dramatic, isn't it? The the before and after for Jesus' disciples. Think about what's happening as you're going through the Gospel of Matthew, and and if you're you're familiar with the Gospels, you, you, you become aware of how the disciples really over and over don't get it, right? They sign up to follow Jesus, but man, they just don't get it, do they? They keep falling. They keep making mistakes. They, and so the same Peter who two months before this moment, Acts 2, the same Peter who denied Jesus before a servant girl is now going to stand up and preach this spectacular sermon drawing from these wonderful Bible texts. And through that sermon, a couple thousand people are going to come to faith in Christ. This is the same guy. What's the difference? He's been filled with the Spirit. The same disciples that were so full of pride, fear, envy, now they become notable for their humility and their courage and their servanthood and their joy. And that same Spirit is working in you today too. You know, when I was converted, I received the Holy Spirit because that's what God faithfully does. But there wasn't any wind or fire. I didn't speak in any other tongues. I didn't get any help in my Spanish class or anything like that. But you know what happened? Something did change inside of me. I had a new desire. For the first time in my life, I really wanted to live God's way and not my own. And something like what was happening here where it says they were proclaiming the mighty or telling the mighty works of God... For me, I, I liked music, but I, did, I hated to sing. And I have a terrible singing voice, which is why my microphone always has to be off during the singing, just in case, so nothing bad can happen. But after, after I was born again and received the Holy Spirit, you know what happened? I began to love to sing. I love the Lord's Day. I love getting together with you this morning and singing these wonderful songs because the Lord has put a song of salvation in my heart. That happened by the power of the Holy Spirit. My my life, by the power of the Holy Spirit, began to turn from self-gratification to self-denial. I still fail, lots, but I believe the Holy Spirit is doing the impossible in me and that is gradually I'm becoming more like Christ in my words and in my character, just like we were singing and praying about earlier. It's the Holy Spirit who makes that happen inside of us. So I wonder for you this morning, where are you this morning? Where do you need that empowering work, just personally? Maybe you're caring for an aging parent. Maybe you need 
the Spirit's help to be faithful at a job that you just don't like. Maybe it's loving that neighbor who keeps parking in your parking place or keeps the music up too loud. Maybe it's hanging in there with your church when you kind of don't feel like you fit. Maybe it's making Sunday gatherings like these a priority with so many other things going on. Pentecost means that we've become a spirit-filled community. We began with this question, why church? Is it time to just de-church and let church go away forever? Let me just close with a quote from a book review that I came across. I saw a review for this book called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, A Memoir of Mental Illness and the Quest to Belong Anywhere. It's by a comedian named Maria Bamford. Now, I haven't read the book, but what caught my attention was that last phrase in her title, The Quest to Belong Anywhere anywhere. In the blurb for the book, it says that Maria is a comedian's comedian, an outsider among outsiders, and has forever fought for a place to belong. Can you hear that? It says she's tried just about every method possible to not only be part of the world, but to want to be part of it. She's looking to belong somewhere, anywhere. Now, I haven't heard of her before reading this book review, and I haven't read the book, but oh, how I can connect with that desire to belong, to belong somewhere. Can you connect with that desire to love and be loved well, to be accepted and welcomed and be accepting and welcoming? We long for community. I believe part of the image of God in us is that we're created for community. And the community that we are created for, that I want to leave you with a fresh vision for, is this community called church. The church of Christ. The community that transcends every barrier and transcends even this age into the age to come. God has called this community into existence. It's the most blessed place to belong that there could ever be. Christ has died to win this community and make it possible. And now the Holy Spirit is empowering little communities like Doxology Church and the big capital C church community as we unite for worship and fellowship and witness. If you haven't fallen in love with Christ's church, I hope you will. And if you have, I hope these verses from Scripture and an awareness of what the Spirit is doing will just stir you to new affection and new commitment. Let's pray.